Hello and welcome to the brand new season of Old Sport Podcast. To the loyal listener family waiting for this return, we are grateful for your patience. And to the thousands of new customers, yes, customers, we welcome you with open arms. We have new segments, headline interviews, and all your favorites. Don't you worry, hit or miss isn't going anywhere. So strap yourselves in for a huge episode in which we dissect the smorgasbord of triumph and controversy that is the sporting world. Boy, am I excited. My name is Hamish Stewart, and joining me as always are the European Sunkiss Ben Rosen and Captain Carlton himself, Hugo Carson. Boys, it's great to be back. Hugo, why don't you talk us through the, the roller coaster of an emotional ride that your football team is taking you on in the past 10 weeks and, and give us an insight as to what's been happening since we've we've last recorded. Yeah, so Chelsea started all right. I mean, the draw to Tottenham. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I mean the Blues. God, I mean, I think it was ten weeks ago, maybe longer that I said I'm worried about Carlton making the eight. I think at that stage we were about eleven and four or something. I mean, honestly, like it's not been pretty. <laughs> I mean, two very different losses in in three weeks. The Adelaide loss was just an awful performance and then you've got the Melbourne one where we put our heart on the line body on the line and to just get it ripped out like that in the the manner of it happening like oh you just they're the worst losses in footy um but anyway we move on the the thought of recording this episode has kept me going since then Boys, how how's your trip? Hamish got to see Boston versus Yankee, Red Sox versus Yankees at, at Yankee Stadium. What was that like? It was a, it was a special experience. Um, for those of you that didn't catch the game, the Yankees won 14-1. So it was a, a dominant <laughs> performance. Uh, and it's fair to say that well, New York and Houston are seemingly the two outstanding teams this year, although New York has had a little bit of a dip in the last uh, week or so. Um, and it's been, it was a difficult week for Boston that week in general. They actually, a couple of nights later, recorded their record loss in the history of the franchise, losing 28-1 to Toronto. Um, and yeah, it's, it's like losing 28-1 in a soccer game. It's, uh, it's not too pretty, especially for one of the biggest clubs in the land. Um, but yeah, all kinds of tales to come out of that. Um, ben, meanwhile, was avoiding football, like I think all three of us have tried our very best to do, um, by heading off to Wimbledon. Is that right, Ben? Yeah, indeed. And it's a much nicer place than Marvel Stadium. That's for sure. <laughs> um, did manage to see the opening day of Wimbledon, which was certainly a bucket list experience for me. And um, yeah, just could not have enjoyed it more thoroughly. Did manage to run into Leighton Hewitt as well, watching a, a couple of the Aussies play on the outer courts. He wasn't too receptive to a, a feature on the podcast, but I'll, <laughs> I'll keep working on it. And I'm sure we'll, will wear him down that week itself. Wimbledon um, though was, was quite a miraculous one for Australian tennis fans, obviously watching Kyrgios ride a huge wave of form and momentum all the way through to the final to lose in a, what was a very well fought four set battle against the ultimate Victor Novak Djokovic, who um, has ascended once again to the, the pinnacle of the, the tennis world now eclipsing Nadal and majors again, but the Kyrgios is, run of form has continued if I'm to quickly canvas over the sports in my sort of domain. Um, he's won in Washington a couple of weeks ago. It was a, a, 
a drought, a drought breaking title as well. First win since 2019. So big things on the horizon for him with the U S open just around the corner. A lot, a lot, a lot has happened in the world of golf. Perhaps too much for me to really sink my teeth into now on the eve of the AFL finals. But obviously we've got the, the LIV tour throwing a huge, huge cat amongst the pigeons. Uh, the PGA tour is actually having a crisis meeting tonight, Australian time. Um, and it's expected that Tiger Woods is getting on a private jet to fly in and attend that meeting. And with the Netflix cameras rolling on a a la... Um, drive to survive documentary that they're filming for this series. That's going to be pretty captivating viewing in a few months time, but I digress. I'll jump onto AFL because it's certainly the season um, getting to the, the business end. And, and with that comes a, a very familiar story. St Kilda's no longer in the title race. They bowed out really mathematically on Friday night with a truly disappointing <laughs> loss to Brisbane. I'll try and, um, yeah, spare, I'll neutral. spare my own feelings about this. Nice and neutral. It's a good game of footy. Um, <laughs> and other than that, the Bulldogs kept their season alive with good win over the Giants. Crows won comprehensively over North Melbourne. Cats did the same to the Suns. Game of the round, Melbourne Carlton. We'll have plenty more to say about that with our fellow unbiased commentator, Hugo Carson, in a second. Um, too easy for the Dockers in the Derby. Richmond smashed the Hawks. Sydney got the job over Collingwood. Good to see Collingwood. Sorry, I'm biased. Um, Collingwood <laughs> uh, had their winning streak broken. And with the uh, probably the most demoralizing display of the round, we had Port Adelaide absolutely thumping Essendon by 84 points on the, the graveyard shift. And that is us up to speed with with all my sports. Yeah, I really, I really didn't think after a Saturday night that I was going to come away from the weekend probably more disappointed with my football team than Hugo would be. Um, <laughs> but hey, that's just the way it goes. All right, let's move on from footy for now. We still haven't had all of our teams winning a round. We've had several rounds where we've all lost. Um, <laughs> in the Formula One, we've had a complete capitulation from Ferrari who have seen, um, who seem to have gone from bad to worse at every race this year. Ferrari sits second in the Constructors' Championship, 97 points behind Red Bull and only 30 points ahead of Mercedes, whilst Leclerc faces a near impossible run home to win the championship, trailing Verstappen by 80 points already. Our man Daniel Ricciardo's had a turbulent season that spiralled pretty out of control recently with the rumours of fellow Aussie and young gun Oscar Piastri ditching his youth team, the team that sponsored him his whole way through in Alpine or Renault. Um, he's been rumoured to take Ricardo's seat after refusing a seat at Alpine. Um, the next phase of the agreements is that um, Piastri is likely to sign for McLaren, but that's still up in the air. That would leave Ricardo with a possible return to Alpine after his um, recent stint at Renault, which is the same team. Um, I, it's a move I'd actually support because I think a move away from McLaren would help Ricardo. Um, but we'll see. There's a, a lot to happen in the the crazy season of Formula One. Hugo, um, um, yes. Can it, can you just explain why one's called Alpine and one's called Renault? They're the same thing. Renault just changed its name to Alpine, which was the um, the sports racing name of the company Renault, and they just changed their name over the season. Um, yeah. <laughs> there you go. Fascinating. Um, we'll move over to the US very briefly because there's not too much happening. The, the NBA and particularly the NFL are building 
close up to their seasons. The NBA fixture is slowly making shape while the NFL is about a month away from, from games starting. Um, the MLB is halfway through their season, though, as Hamish touched on. The uh, Yankees and Astros uh, are favourites, whilst the Dodgers and Mets also look like they're a good chance to make the World Series. Um, there's some interesting games ahead, though, with Boston getting some form back. Hamish, the Premier League's finally started. Let's let's dig our teeth into some results there. Yeah, it just occurred to me that we're all having to kind of speak about the sports we we probably didn't want to have to speak about. Um, but I will crack on <laughs> with the, the Premier League match week too. So um, Arsenal and Manchester City both continued their strong starts. They're both undefeated through the first, sorry, not undefeated, both got wins through the first two games. And Liverpool were held to their second draw from the, the first two games um, to a, a plucky Crystal Palace team with a, a silly red card to Darwin Nunez, which was early this morning, Australia time. The, arguably the game of the, the round was Chelsea and Tottenham played out this thrilling and highly controversial draw, which we might touch on later. Both managers sent off after the game, after the fact. Uh, if you haven't seen it, we'll clip it up on the socials. Basically a handshake where they forgot to let go. And it's the, the great thing about this clip is, um, well, firstly, for some context, after Tottenham scored their equalize, first equalizing goal, uh, their manager, Antonio Conte, former Chelsea manager, ran over and celebrated in front of the Chelsea bench, to which uh, the Chelsea manager did not react kindly. Thomas Tuchel running over and yelling in Conte's face. Game comes to an end. Two all, late equaliser Tottenham, highly controversial. Shouldn't have been allowed, according to most pundits anyway. And uh, they uh, go to shake hands and they both just hold on. They do a little merry-go-round, swing around together, making eye contact, start screaming at each other. And I'm not actually sure what language would be the, the mutual language for an Italian and a, a German. Um and anyway, the, the ref walks over, gives them both red cards, all very funny. Um, Man United were actually the, the story of the round, despite that controversy. Uh, they lost 4-0 away to Brentford, all four goals conceded inside the first 35 minutes. And it was a team that looked completely lost versus one that's so full of spirit. Uh, it's hard to quantify the difference in kind of salaries and backing and money that Man United have compared to Brentford and yeah, I feel like it'd be, it's only a matter of time now before the owners are going to have to face up to a lot of what's been going on there the last two seasons in particular. It's and just quickly to because they've spent more money than anyone else. Like, I don't know. It seems like they're just wanting something to change, but, you know, change the owners, maybe they spend less money and the club stays in the same position. It's, it's bizarre. I know. Um, the fish rots from the top. I think that's the yeah. general... The general gist but i agree i don't think the owners can be um they're not getting accused for the lack of investment it's more for a lack of vision and i think the structure in the football department they don't have a technical director of football and showing at the moment um there's just no no vision at the club no spirit and in the in the nrl which obviously we say best for last on this show um it was a <laughs> huge win for the melbourne storm on the weekend 16 nil over the top of the table and highly fancied uh, Penrith Panthers, who are still very much a couple of games clear uh, as they head towards the finals, but means a storm staying the top four, um, which we know in both AFL and NRL is a crucial place to be. Um, but enough of that. Let's move on to the the other footy. Ben, take us into it. Footy finals fever is not quite upon us, but it's getting pretty close. 
It is getting very close, but we can't cast our gaze too far ahead because the weekend upon us uh, is throwing up a lot of great games, a lot of very fascinating permutations, both for the top eight and indeed for the top four. The biggest one of the weekend, though, is Carlton Collingwood. And I think uh, all persuasions of football fans are licking their chops for this one. Probably none more so than our man, Hugo Carson, who's just discreetly slipped on a blues cap. Um, how are you feeling about this and about your team's chances of making the eight? And Hugo, just give us the, the permutations for why this game matters, please. Okay. Um, so I wasn't going to this game and I was going skiing and I've now cancelled my plans to go skiing to stay in Melbourne and go to this game. It's sold out. You hear the tiny violins all across the country. <laughs> <laughs> with with I have a clear knowledge that it's more likely than not that we'll lose. And that will be the most heartbreaking moment of the season to lose to Collingwood in this circumstance, when you're about to make the top eight, we made the finals a few times under um, Ratten and then not Ratten, Malthouse, um, but then capitulated after that. But honestly, it never felt like that was building too much momentum. And, you know, we were, I think four points off a prelim at one stage, but I mean, this is this is what the team's been building for for twenty years. In my twenty years, I'm same with you guys. We've never. I mean, Hamish was alive for a premiership. Sorry, um, don't remember winning teams. a final though. <laughs> <laughs> we've never seen our teams go all the way, and Carlton especially. And yeah, Saints had some luck, but not some luck, some skill. Um, it would be unbelievable to win in front of potentially 90 95,000 people yeah, in a home and away game i think we put a lot of effort and heart into the game against melbourne and i just hope we didn't play our final you know three weeks early we've still it seems crazy that even if we win this we've still got to win finals and could come <laughs> up against the same side two weeks later like it's just all built towards this game it has been for months it seems like um and, you know, I, I think we're a big chance to win, but it's going to be tricky. Collingwood, they've proven it's not just luck in these close games. And you can't imagine Carlton's going to blow them away. It's going to be close. You know it. That mm. It's not just going to be Carlton fans there. Collingwood's going to show up and it's going to be You'd imagine awesome atmosphere. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, you'll, know, you'll know your fate as well. Yeah. Um, Richmond, obviously, playing, I think, midday yeah. Saturday. Um, sorry, they're playing Saturday night. And then you've got the dogs playing the game before you. So yeah. it'll all be there for you. You know what you have to do. Um, in all likelihood, we'll have to win. And it, at least it's in our own hands. Like we're not the doggies fans who are hoping for, for a cotton loss. Like I think that's what you got to take away. And there are positives from the season, but just having even a game, even if you, we get blown out in week one of finals, having a game of finals experience means so much for the, for the campaign next year. Um, but yeah, it's not it's not a team, it's not a um, competition of two teams. Let's let's move on to the rest just of the to, Just to just to say, so Carlton need to win to make the finals, provided the dogs win. Um, and Collingwood need to win to make top four. So both yeah. teams have a lot to play for. But it's unlikely that it will be the same matchup the next week. If Collingwood lose, it's most likely they'll finish sixth because it's hard to see Frio losing to GWS. So they would move up to fifth, um, which would mean in a Oh, well, it would mean Brisbane versus um, Carlton or Melbourne versus Carlton uh, and then Richmond Collingwood as the the other first elimination fight, which would be an amazing 
site, albeit probably not <laughs> particularly enjoyable outcome for the neutrals uh, amongst us, but but that's okay. Um, we will move on though. Ben, disappointment for the Saints. Yeah, disappointment indeed. So you've obviously got Carlton need a win to make the eight. Bulldogs need a result or two. Saints need three results and a 600-point <laughs> win. So we could probably put a line through the mighty Saints. And um, look, we're all comparing tales of woes, but I've been on this planet for, for 23 years and I've had my heart broken 23, probably, you know, 18 sentient years. Um and, and as a, a fellow Saints fan told me at the game on Friday night, you're entitled to any emotional response except surprise. And I can say that I've probably gone through the entire gamut of emotional responses, but I'm not surprised. I mean, this is what they do to me year in, year out. They disappoint. They break my heart. Uh, sometimes they'll wait till very late in the season. You now they'll wait till the grand final. Sometimes they'll even wait till a grand final replay, but you know, <laughs> never mind. The heart will be broken and uh, broken. It has been. So that's probably enough. And I'll sit on that. A serious question on the Saints. Do you think yeah. this list can win a win a premiership or do you think you have to reset and build around Max King from now? Like <laughs> build around Max King. Probably the wrong week to ask me that. Um <laughs> I think that we are very mediocre. I think we yeah. like if we finish mid-table sort of four or five years in a row. Um, yeah, we won a final in there, but it was a COVID year. I feel like the body of evidence starts to stack up and and you're mediocre. The one thing we've got going for us is we're not that old. No. Um, we've got a few players on the top end of the list, which probably bring the aggregate wage, uh, weight, sorry. Uh, how am I going? Age up. Um, but, and wait. Yeah. Eddie Ryder's big boy. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I do think the, the brave list management decision to be made would probably be to not give Ryder another year. I love him and I love everything he's done for the contract, but I think the future of the club, revolves around uh, Rowan Marshall as much as it does Max King. And I, I don't think Marshall can flourish into the footballer he sort of needs to become um, while while he's, we're relying so heavily on Ryder. So anyway, this, no one really cares about the Saints there. They're yesterday's <laughs> news. There's a lot more to go. And as we've touched on, we are at the pointy end of the, the season. So with that being said, who have you got making it at least into prelims, boys? We'll go to you, Hamish. Well, you would have thought Geelong were a complete lock until Jeremy Cameron did his hamstring. Mm. And I don't really care if they say it's a low-grade hamstring. There's no such thing as a a low or an insignificant hamstring, especially when it's Jeremy Cameron on his right leg. Um, That is a big concern. He is, I think, both their most important and best player. Um, And it's hard to see them beating Melbourne without them in particular, I think. Um, And depending on how the permutations go, from here, there's a pretty good chance Melbourne and Geelong will face off in a prelim. So I think that'll be one. Um, and then I think Sydney will win through to the other one in the, the qualifying final week. And who they face in that, I think it's wide open. Um, I think Richmond, are, if they, Richmond have Collingwood in the first week of the finals, I think I'll be tipping them. And if they've got Brisbane in the second week, there will be a lot of pressure on the Lions. And I just, who knows what could happen um, yeah, I, I was the first among us to say to write off Richmond at the very start of the year. Uh, and I might be have egg on my face come the end of the, the season. I still don't buy them yet, though. I still think they're overrated and I still think uh, we don't need to worry too much. But um, yeah, I, I think those three and then who the fourth is, I think, is wide open. I think yeah, chips I, in. I tend to agree. Um, I, I think a loss like Collingwood's to Sydney isn't as big as some. Like people had them in their top two, 
sides because they'd go on this 11 win streak and then they lose one to Sydney who's in great form. I think Collingwood still a red hot chance to get through to a prelim. Um, especially if like finals are close games and they've proven themselves in these close games. Yes, there's luck in it, but luck 11 times in a row. Come on, like even as a Carlton fan, I have to acknowledge there's a lot of skill. Like winning close games is a learned skill and they've seemed to have, to have done it. Um, and in finals, you know, who knows what's going to happen. Um, so we'll see. It's, it's going to be an exciting, exciting prelim and, and whole final series, really. Ben? And yeah, well, I'll just, just say um, that, that one team you can never write off are the Mighty Bloods. And I know that we've got a, uh, a special guest who's certainly got <laughs> a few unreserved words to share on that. So we might let him take it away. Okay, joining me on the line now is friend of the show, Dan, who is an absolute Swans fanatic. And we thought, who better to speak to than about the Swans who are in an absolute vein of form at the moment. Five on the trot, sinking, sitting equal third uh, on the ladder with games against Collingwood at home and St Kilda away to come. Dan, we want to know, is the lid off for Swans supporters? Have you booked your tickets to the MCG on the last Saturday in September yet? Lids, there's lids never off for us. It's, it's always, it's always onwards and upwards. You know, this is just sort of part of the course of, you know, four or five flags. So, you know, I'm not, I'm not particularly excited. Just think this is just part of the course. I, I, I think we'll be fine. This will be whether we win or not this year. Like, just, just the rest of the league's just got to get ready for just an institution, right? Because that's, that's what we are. um i'm glad to hear that dan so i guess uh with that in mind what is it that's that's exciting you most about the swans this year and coming into this final series in particular you've got some some ripping young players uh thanks to a um, certain academy but that's okay and the likes of errol Goulden and and chad warner coming through um but we've also got your your leaders like callum mills and tom papley and luke parker in some serious form this year um Look, I, there's been a lot of media as well about the beautiful game that the Swans are playing. And then, of course, there's also the, the Bloods culture, which you, you touched on there. Out of those kind of things, what is it that's getting you excited? What is it that gives you faith going forward into September? Well, I just just firstly, I just note that 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 resentment at the start of the um the start of the question about the uh, academy. Uh, <laughs> we set that up. We get to reap the profits. Okay, just get over it. Um, but so okay, and then yeah, who am I excited by? Um, I reckon I really like players like Florence, um, Haywood, Goulden. Um, he's not in the side at the moment, moment, but like Braden Campbell, those sort of guys um really excite me. I like watching them play. Um, especially Aaron Errol is that his name? Um, yeah, he's really exciting. Beautiful kick of the football. Same with um. Nick Blakey, he's also really good to watch. So I like seeing Sydney play that, you know, champagne football, really soft stuff. I, I really enjoy that because um, I, I actually really didn't like the way we used to play um, with all that contested footy. That was that was dour. Yeah, we're, we're in the modern world. Everything's fast. You know, let, let's do that. I'm glad uh, to hear it. And is that what is that what gives you the edge going into finals? Uh, it could be our downfall as well because, like, I don't know if you're watching on the weekend, but like, even North was running it out of the center against us. So, 
I don't know how I, I'm not really sure if I agree with you on Luke Parker being that good this year. I think he's, he pissed me off a bit. Like he, he should be running the um running the midfield a bit better. But um yeah, I reckon it'll be our downfall if we do like it, it'll be the thing that wins us games, but it's also the thing that will lose us games because every team that every time we've had really bad losses, whether it be like Gold Coast or Port Adelaide or something. Is just when they've stopped us moving the ball in that sort of fast way. So, like, maybe that could be the downfall against a team like Geelong or something. Or even, like, Richmond. Yeah. They want to play Richmond. But, yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, when you come up against strong defences like Essendon, it's it's understandable that they can, yeah. can stop that <laughs> ball movement. Uh, we've, got, we've got one more for you, and you can be particularly visceral on this one because there's all kinds of stuff that's been thrown around in the media. But... The one talking point that never ceases to sleep with the Swans is the contract situation of Lance Franklin. Yeah. If you are Swans list manager, uh, does he play on at the Swans next year or does it depend on the results this year? Like if you win a flag, um, is he playing on? Or if you, you get close, if you make a prelim or a grand final and want to take that extra step, does that change your thinking at all? Um, I mean, I'd like, I'd obviously like him to stay for the right price sort of thing. Like, I don't really want Sydney paying, what, like 800000 Like, I, I don't really want them paying that for a guy who could easily get injured next year and, like, it's his last year of footy. Um, but in an ideal world, we'd, we'd he'd just agree to what we'd give, what we were going to offer him. And I reckon next year he could be part of a, a flag. Um, but, but because I do think that I reckon guys like Logan McDonald and those guys probably need a few more years of development before they can be like your first target. Um, but in saying that Reed's been really good this year. So um, yeah, I'm, I've, I've mixed feelings. I feel betrayed, but like he did leave Sydney for the money. So um, maybe it's not so much of a surprise. Um, he's going to go to Brisbane and just, you know, I don't know what he's going to do there. Like what's the end game there? Like, Say, you know, they'll get bounced out of the finals and then we'll just remember him as that guy who played for Brisbane for a year and, like, was just all about the money. Like, like... Bit of Brendan Favola-esque. Yeah. Um, well, no, no, he's obviously a great player, but there's just something quite unbecoming about, you know, going to play for Brisbane for family reasons. I, I, like, right, okay. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know. I just... I just I, I've, I've been... I'm, I'm a bit disappointed. I... I Thought he was better than this, but yeah. I mean, ho- I mean, hopefully he stays. I'd love him to stay. Well, Dan, we we appreciate the honesty a lot, and we might be getting back in touch in the finals, depending how the Swans go. So, all the best against Collingwood on the weekend. I hope you can stop stop this the streak so that uh, we all get a break from the the Collingwood flagpole stuff. Um, but thanks for coming on. All right, so that was the voice of friend of the show, Dan. You heard there. Uh, there's no real point us talking about response when we can just get Dan on to give his two cents. Um, now we're, we're going to have a, a clip up of a whole lot of different fans' opinions on their teams. Um, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but just before we move on from the footy, uh, we have one more news story we need to cover before our headline interview this week. And that is what's going on um, at uh, out out in the west of Melbourne at the moment. <laughs> can, um, I just, can I just say, that, like for the listeners, we... We sort of run through a few dot dot points that we put down here, and, and sometimes we'll help each other out by adding dot points to each other's segments. and And this is my segment, and I, I open up the laptop this afternoon, and Hamish has just inserted 
at the bottom here. Essendon finally gets blown up. Is <laughs> the topic of conversation we're about to embark on. So he put it there. I'll let him. I'll let him carry on with it. I put this on the agenda, I reckon, three months ago, saying they just need to blow the whole club up. And I'm glad they finally caught on. At least the power brokers did. Uh, for those of you that didn't catch it, um, Essendon were... I, like, it's hard to describe how insipid they were on Sunday night. Um, as one of the commentators said, you could hear a pin drop by the end of the game. Uh, absolute witches' hats for Port Adelaide, who are not a good football team, just running around. drive-bys. Um, oh, they they are very much a mediocre fine football team this year. They but, looked like a premiership team. Um, they, they yeah, are. they looked a million bucks. We are. It's funny every week we play a team and they just happen to get into form that week. It's such a shame. Um, anyway, second meeting for the weekend uh, for the board was taking place. This is on the back of basically a whole lot of club power brokers, people who aren't on the board but have a lot of sway over the club, powerful people um, pulling the strings, got together and said, enough's enough. We're watching North Melbourne having basically a single crack at Alistair Clarkson, um, doesn't appear interested in leaving Melbourne. We're sitting here with a uh, a coach who has been described as developing, which I think is a generous term. And you've got the, as David King said, the absolute finished product just sitting there um, waiting to be taken by a football club. Enough's enough. We need to have a crack. the president fell on his sword then, big backer of Ben Rutten, um, Ken Brusher, and I wouldn't be surprised if the CEO follows suit, although he's also got friends in high places, so we'll see how that goes. Um, but we sit here on Tuesday night, not knowing who's going to coach Essendon on the weekend, let alone next year, not knowing if Alistair Clarkson's even signed a deal with North Melbourne already or has really um, had a proper approach from Essendon or had a deal put on the table, a whole lot of conflicting reports. Um I am of the view, as Cal Tomey wrote on uh, AFL Media, AFL.com, that changing coach isn't going to change Essendon's fortunes alone. They need to look at the medical department. Um, we have the most soft tissue injuries, especially repeat soft tissue injuries of any club by so far. Um, we had six or seven players do two hammies this year or two cars, which is just ridiculous. Um, our list manager has been there for 20 years and hasn't seen us win a final and somehow manages to stay in his job and never be questioned and hold sway. And our board appears to not be able to make the, the cutthroat decisions. Um, our general manager of football has not had the impact that he had at Melbourne beforehand. Um, sorry, that's our, our footy boss, footy director, I mean. And our assistants who get lauded as being potential future coaches and the likes of Daniel Jiren, Syracuse and Blake Carousella I've also been at the club now for longer than Ben Rutten and we haven't seen any change in the back line. So I think the whole club needs to be blown up and kind of start again, um, for lack of a, a better phrase. And I think it's actually a decent chance of finally happening. Alistair Clarkson would be a start, but he's definitely not the end. Um, and just before I finish, there was a really good... Uh, Cal Twomey also um, made this, this link. Essendon and the Manchester United of the footy world at the moment. They're this huge club or club with a lot of historical success is trying to live off this historical success for the last however long uh, and effectively do really well off field we have eighty-five thousand members this year manchester united had seventy-five thousand people attend their opening game of the season um but we don't look anywhere near it and we've had successive coach changes and not seen anything change either the fish rots from the top uh we'll leave it there <laughs> Go away, Ben. Take it. Take it from here. What? Uh, for, looking on from the outside, what? As a fan 
you know, as a Carlton fan, I've, I've seen these rebuilds and, and things along the way. What, what do you think about the Essendon fans and, and what they've gone through and where, where to next? Um, well, I, I do sort of, Hamish makes a pretty compelling argument for yeah. the total rebuild. Um, the problem is there's no guarantee that when you start again, you're going to do it any better. Um, and I think there is a small risk, like a team like Essendon just 12 months ago, um, no one, not even Hamish would have been this pessimistic about them. Teams do have really bad years. Like if Melbourne, when they finished second last in uh, 2018 or ni- 19, I think. 19. Um, yeah. In 2019 had have blown the club up. They would rob themselves of a, a premiership in doing so. And they probably had as just cause to do it as Essendon do now, I reckon. So I'd, I probably would, um, you know, just, just think about a little bit of caution there. And I definitely understand the passion coming from a supporter. Um, but yeah, you, you've got to make sure that the whole thing is completely condemned, um, unsalvageable. And if you come to that determination, then yeah, I think probably starting guess- again is the thing to do. And I think, yeah, you make a very good point, Ben. Um, I guess the way I look at it is stability is only worth having if what you have is worth keeping hold of or preserving or or keeping stable. You're sure that it's the right thing on the right track. And I think you're hard-pressed to find even the most die-hard Essen supporter who can look one-eyed and say, yeah, we're on the right track at the moment. Um, And I think... I guess the difference is with the Melbourne cases, they made that prelim the year before. Yeah. Um, there was enough to suggest that they had the right list, um, that the coach could do it, and that, you know, it had just been an off season. Uh, like we said off the top, Essendon have been bad for 20 years. You know, it, it, it's nearly, it's 18 years since we won a final. Like it's nearly two decades. Um, it's, it's disgusting. Um, yeah. So, anyway, uh, there's been enough media coverage of that, though. We've got one more main story to copy, uh, sorry, to cover before we get into our, our segments. And that is the privatization process that's going on in cricket. Don't tune out. I know it sounds uh, immediately boring and not really that sporty off the top. Um, but if you are at all interested in cricket or in the business of sports, we just want to have a brief coverage of what's going on. It's been foreshadowed for a long time, but we're suddenly seeing this very quick shift happening in the cricket world, particularly in Australia at the moment. Some real changing the discourse around how we discuss things like the big bash. Um, Basically we've seen the English, the Indian premier league become the dominant force in world cricket. It's now got a two month slot put aside for it. No international cricket is being played. They IPL is all franchise owned. That's why they have the ability to spend so much money on players. That's why they run such a good product. And the IPL franchises have just bought all of the South African T20 franchises. South Africa is launching a new domestic 2020 competition plan to start exactly the same time as the big bash good luck trying to get people uh, players to come to australia for three months on two hundred thousand dollars when they can go to south africa for a month and get paid three times that um, we are also seeing the uae backed by different in- investors 
Um, it's not the UAE government. It's actually an individual who is acting on their behalf, um, but it's a little bit muddy the waters around there and we will be careful how we talk about it. But um, they are also pouring a whole lot of money into their competition um, to such an extent that David Warner has been, uh, it's been publicly released that he was said, look, I'm going to have to go to the UAE and play there uh, until Cricket Australia improved his offer for the Big Bash. And um, he is now going to play in the Big Bash, which I think is a, a huge coup for the competition. It definitely doesn't solve its problems though. And the last one that really brought this to the, the forefront was Trent Bolt, who you know, is still one of the premier bowlers in world cricket, left arm seamer from New Zealand, stepping back from his, his New Zealand central contract, basically because he realizes he can earn more money doing the, the private leagues and spend more time with his family, which is currently his priorities in his early 30s. Um, so boys, I just want to get your thoughts on, firstly, mainly, what does this mean for Australian cricket, in particular, the Big Bash? Um, ben, do you think Cricket Australia has... Uh, kind of a duty to actually explore the privatization of the big bash, which if they have another season like they did last year, it seems like it's going to be really, really long way back from there. Um, it's gone from being the envy of all the world competitions apart from the IPL to being a really low tier competition. Um, do you think CAA, CAA should be looking at that even if they're going to lose revenue? Um, yeah. I mean, Cricket Australia need to be looking at all options when it comes to the big bash because as you said, they probably can't afford to have many more seasons like they did last year. Um, the privatization one's a tricky one because you have to be very wary of where the money's, <clears throat> sorry, where the money's coming from um, and what that means for the integrity of the sport. Um, as obviously we're seeing in golf, uh, you know, money's not, everything and and obviously it, it is can be quite alluring for a lot of players but it can also be fairly divisive um and cricket australia holds this position as real custodians of of the sport um and key brokers in the sport of cricket so i think they do have to keep that front of mind when they think about not just how to preserve the big bash but also the broader ramifications for cricket i don't know if i've taken that too far down a rabbit hole but it no. made sense in my head um what do you reckon hugo yeah, so, I mean, the IPL recently sold its media rights for $3 billion, US dollars, that is, which is just unbelievable, unfathomable, really, in the Australian cricket spectrum. I think if Cricket Australia doesn't explore the options of this franchise and, and including the, you know, the global franchise um, into the Big Bash or domestic T20 competition, I think you're really, they're, they're kidding themselves, really, I think will be the last to do it if they do do it most likely. Um, and it's going to get to the point where these players have signed for these IPL sides that are also owned. They also own teams in every other country and will have rights to play in the other countries, including South Africa, which competition will run concurrently with the big bash. So they'll have to play for the South African sides over the Australian side. So if Australia, Korea, Australia is, preference is to make money and also build cricket in Australia, then they, they have to consider this because if the IPL owners are serious about building teams that want to win, then they'd also invest in, in local talent as well. Like that's how you, how you build sides up as well. So as long as there's money circulating through the States and the lower competitions, then I think you'd be silly not to consider it. Um, 
And I mean, if it means the death of one day cricket, which is something you didn't touch on Hamish, but another big story in the cricket world, then I mean, it it's a sad thing, but also it's the way of the world. And as long as we keep test matches, I think people aren't, aren't too upset. It's just the a shame thing, about the World Cup. Yeah, that's the thing I don't get is that I still think after the Ashes, the one day World Cup's the biggest in cricket like it's huge and i think it's great spectacle especially that last one in england it was unreal yeah much better than a t20 world cup no i think t20 international cricket's just not got the same appeal no. um, even though we are world champions best in the world <laughs> all that stuff um so i think there's a future for one day cricket i just think it's going to be have to done in a, a different way uh, i'm not sure tacking on bilateral series the end of test series after a long summer when you got the big bash on and everyone going off to their other T20 commitments is going to work. Um, but they should be able to find a way to keep some one day cricket going just enough to get to a world cup. Um, and on the big bash, I actually, it seems like it's in a big mess, but I don't think the problems are particularly complex. Like they need Australia's best players playing. It needs to be shorter and have its own spot in the Australian calendar when kids can watch during school holidays and it doesn't go over more than a month, maybe six weeks. Um, yeah. And they need to be able to draw some international talent, which they had for the first four or five years of the big bash. You know, um, we loved watching it, loved going to the games. I feel like it, the problems themselves aren't that complex and it's just the, the mechanics behind it that they're going to have to solve um, to try and get there. So I don't think all is lost necessarily. Um, I just feel like, they need to start moving in that direction one way or another. Also, while we're on cricket, I think it is important to mention the Aussie girls, as always, winning. Um, they won at the Com Games Golds um, in a thriller against India. Their group match was also a thriller against India. Um, some talk about cheating from the Indians about how I think it was Talia McGrath mm. COVID and, and still managed to play, but it was perfectly within the rules and is wow. what happened. We basically played with a a girl down the entire game. So, I mean, we won and we got gold and good on them. Uh, Meg Lanning's taking a much deserved break from cricket. Hopefully she'll be back to lead Australia for the world cups and many more victories to come. But I mean, such a dominant side. We are very, very lucky to have them and probably take them for granted, to be honest. There's um some top tier banter as well. I don't know if you saw the next day, Alyssa Healy posted yeah. on, <laughs> on her socials, a picture of a boat and the boat just says salty. That's the name of the boat on the side. Um, so I don't know if that was directed at anyone in particular. But- All right. We should probably move along to our respective moments of the week. Um, obviously, it's been a, a bit of a break for the podcast. So I do have a, a moment of the extended break, but I'll quickly throw out a moment <laughs> of the week because I, I found it quite funny. Um, and it came from uh, a, a different show the the front bar sam pang a personal favorite they put up a clip of scott pendle re-talking about how this sort of modern iteration of the collingwood football club seems to be quite popular with neutral fans uh how they play an exciting brand of footy and how he even thinks a few neutrals might secretly be having collingwood as their second team i'm paraphrasing obviously and sam pang is basically 
looked straight down the lens of the camera and said that he's more than happy. He speaks on behalf of the sort of neutral footballing fraternity when he says that he's more than happy for Collingwood to win a few games during the regular season, provided that they suffer two losses in September that are so humiliating that they all need serious counselling or something <laughs> along those lines. And I feel like, um, yes, I, I haven't gotten no love for the, the Collingwood Football Club in my heart. And I don't think either of you do. The, every year it comes up in media, it's like, oh, this year, this is everyone's second team. Piss off. There's no. no way anyone is anyone's second team. I have teams I hate and teams I don't not like as much, but th- th- ridiculous. <laughs> Good. I'm glad we're all on the same page there. Um, I'll quickly go through my, my moment of the break because it was a huge one for Australian sport. Uh, and that was Cam Smith winning the 150th Open Championship at St. Andrews. Obviously, all the rigmarole around Cam Smith right now is quite bizarre, and whether he is or isn't going to the LIV tour. So I'll park that for one side because this in and of itself was quite remarkable. It was a fantastic duel down the stretch at the home of golf between him and Rory McIlroy. Um, I was actually in Amsterdam at the time and, couldn't for the life of me find a TV uh, or a live stream. And so I'm just walking up the streets and I think I like said, come on Smithy or something when a score refreshed and I saw he'd made a birdie and I'm going past this other Aussie bloke who without casting aspersions may have ventured into a coffee shop during the day and he was also following the golf and with this guy I watched like he had it somehow found a live stream and I watched the last three holes with this Aussie bloke in Amsterdam and he wasn't making a lot of sense but he was absolutely loving it and as was I and it was very good to see an Australian win the Open Championship. Yeah it's gonna be hard to top for a moment of the year um I know Ash Barty won Wimbledon um so that's always gonna be really hard to top but Cam Smith winning the Open's got to be right up there. Uh, and, yeah, we'll park the, the live stuff as separate to his his achievement there. Um, now, my moment of the week is a little bit of a controversial one because we don't really talk about any non-professional sport on this program. Um, except for Hugo's netball. Yeah, except for, <laughs> except for Hugo's, club. <laughs> Hugo's netball and great cricket club, yeah. Um, but um, this one didn't involve any of us. And, uh, yeah, usually we wouldn't be going anywhere near private school boys school sport um but this had to get a mention so it was the APS which is basically Caulfield Grammar were taking on on Brighton Grammar they were both had uh 10 uh, nine wins and a loss for the season playing in the last game um there's no grand final or anything in this compass just whoever finishes on top of the, the ladder wins so a clear equal top uh so it was an effective grand final played out at Caulfield's home ground and in what has been described as the greatest game of school footy in the last two decades, if not ever, it was a 96-all draw, um, a five-goal turnaround. It's a particularly blustery day, so we hear, and the premiership was shared. Um, so anyway, I'm sure there'll be some future AFL talent to come out of those two schools and AFLW talent come out of Caulfield in particular. Um, but yeah, well done to everyone involved in those, those two teams on their season. Yeah, congrats. Congrats to all involved. Good to hear an exciting game of school footy. Um, move on to a, a nicer story of the week. Um, my moment of the week couldn't go past it in the footy world. Ben Cunnington returning to footy after overcoming testicular cancer. Second football to overcome testicular cancer this year to play for their respective sides, joining Sam Doherty. The two that the bond those two have 
overcoming the same challenge and saw Doc um, post earlier saying how proud he is of Ben and just seeing Ben get out there. Um, he's not really a guy who does a lot of media or shows a lot of emotion, but as he got out there, he gave a big hug to his family and was crying. This is on his way out into the field, not after the game or anything. Even before the before the game started, he was overcome with emotion. Um, I think it was it was great to see him back on the field. You know, LDU had a great game and Cunnington was able to do do a little bit less than he, he normally is required when he's playing. Um, shame they couldn't get a result, but it was really good to see him back. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. No worries. We'll go on to the, the fan moment of the week now. This comes in from, from Harry, and this is a slightly different one, a bit of a smaller story, a bit of a more niche story. This is Bronny James, so LeBron James's son, who I think is 17, um, basically looks like a man already or a, a, a rookie in the NBA. Um, he had this insane dunk, basically. He dribbled down the entire court, full street, um, full pace, Dunks over a player with his right hand into the basket, obviously. Um, it was pretty insane. If you haven't, we'll, we'll link it onto the socials. Um, but there was also talk over the break that he might be coming to the NBL before he goes to the NBA, which would be insane. Be like, massive. That would be unbelievable for Australian basketball. Um, would bring a lot of viewership and would probably bring a lot of young players on afterwards as well. Um if he comes and his dad would come as well. Um, well not to play, but <laughs> imagine <laughs> if <knows>? LeBron <laughs> just took like a year of absence from the LA Lakers to play for the Sydney Kings. <laughs> that <laughs> no, don't even get Hamish to the NBL. <laughs> no, but anyway, a bit of a niche one. Thanks, Harry, for sending that in. All right, boys, it is time. We haven't had it in months. Time for Europe and North America's favorite segment, hit or miss. take it away thank you hugo it's uh it's exciting to be back with hit or miss i think it's the segment the fans have all missed and uh they're very happy to have it back and if you do like any of these questions do get on the instas and have a vote we'll be very keen to see your responses and share some feedback on the show next week my hit or miss comes from the soccer world um and it's a pretty simple idea i think well i'm keen to hear hit or miss from you guys soccer should have a time on clock like afl Basically, the ball stops. Sorry, the time stops whenever the ball is not in play. Um, whether that is it's gone out for a throw or a goal kick, there's been a foul, someone's gotten injured. Stop the time wasting, build the tension at the ground. You don't need to have the clock visible at the ground the same way at AFL, so you never know when the final whistle's going to blow. Um, I just think it would make a lot more sense and save a really ugly part of the game. Hit or miss. Yeah, that's a hit. That's a really well thought out, well argued proposition. That's that's just up and down for me. I can't think of a counter argument. Well done. Um, I go miss just on the argument that soccer is one of those sports that you don't and can't change the rules. Don't rule. touch like, it. Yeah, you can't touch it. It's it's the world's game. It's been perfect. It's not perfect, but it's been such an important game for so many, for so long. And if you change something like that. I mean, you know, it's exciting. Maybe try it in the A-League or something where you do it, make it a gimmick or something. But on the world stage, you can't... I don't think you can mess with it because um, new tactics would come part of it. It does suck that teams time waste, but it's a part of the I, game. And I, I get that. But I actually think, like, they introduced VAR, which I feel like is a massive 
difference to the game um, compared to just saying instead of extra so they time. They didn't necessarily the end, we'll change the rule. Like they did change the rules, but to enforce the rules, they brought it in. Uh, I, I, I do get your argument there, but no, it's a miss for me. I reckon I, the soccer world needs to be more open to change and adapting to um, a better version of itself like all the other sports are. But then um, you've got the AFL, which changes rules every year. And um, my hit or miss kind of links with this one. But, uh, yeah, I think there's a line, there's a, a fine line there. Mm. I just like the the idea of the A-League being the guinea pig for the world of soccer. <laughs> yeah. Usually, like, Frankenstein's monster will just see what happens if we put an ear here. Does it still work? What about a sixth toe? Yeah, that'll do. It's it like might the, just the bat flip in the big bash. It is. It might just give us the head start though on the rest of the world if we've been playing with our um a count up a countdown clock rather yeah. than a <laughs> they've listened to the podcast. Just... FIFA's changing the laws. <laughs> yeah, go on, FIFA. Give us the head start um, that Usain Bolt didn't give us. Damn it. Exactly. <laughs> um Hugo, why don't you take us into yours? Yeah, okay. So we'll we'll go back into the world of AFL here, following on from the rule changes one. Mine's a pretty simple one in the, the AFL as a competition, as in the game of Aussie rules within the AFL has never been healthier. So not necessarily the clubs or, or anything else. The game of Australian rules football within the AFL competition has never been healthier. Hit or miss? Uh, it's a miss for me. Um, I think it's fine. Um, I don't think it's good as it was. And I know that is definitely just a a retrospective thing of probably you look back at when life was awesome, then you think footy was awesome. But I look back at, and Ben's not going to like me saying this, but basically from 2008 to 2012, I would say, like I just think all of those seasons were pretty awesome um, because the game seemed simple. Um, I think it was still high scoring and open and Alistair Clarkson hadn't introduced along with Ross Lyon basically a defense minded game um which unfortunately is what i think it's become today so i just i'm not sure the product is quite as good as what it was then which is a strange thing to to think about and i think part of that is having two extra teams i don't think the talent is uh as strong as it was then um and as condensed into those those teams if you look at the lineups of particularly St Kilda, geelong and collingwood over those years and then hawthorne afterwards the good players in those teams, just ridiculous the amount of, of stars that they had. And yeah, I think we can look at a whole lot of reasons why that isn't from free agency today um, all the way through to development and, and having a couple of extra teams. So I don't think it's, I think it has been healthier. Yeah. So I, I actually agree with you, Hamish, in that it's a miss, but also more specifically, even though I don't like to reminisce too much about it. Uh, I think that era of football was probably my favorite to watch just as you said the star-studded teams that they had but also the high scoring nature of football and right down to your point on Ross Lyon I was literally thinking of saying it right as you said it I think that the whole team defense um, as good as it is as good a style of playing as it is it has really ruined the fluency of the sport Um, ruins probably a strong word but it certainly diminished it uh, and I still think the best games are high-scoring games, open games, probably games that coaches absolutely hate. You often see like a first half that's really open and free-flowing and you just almost don't want the players to go 
see their coach. You, you don't want it to happen because you know that the second half, it's going to be completely locked down. Um, so uh, like, I don't think it's, uh, I think the game is in a good spot and I really like what we're doing with around concussion. Uh, the rules getting rid of the bounce around the ground made heaps of sense, rush behinds. Like a lot of good progressions have been made since then, but taking a step back, the more holistic picture of what the game looked like. I still enjoyed watching footy more back then. Yeah, I think I agree. Um, a miss for me as well, but I really do think that this is as good as it's been since Hawthorne started winning. Um, the rules that they brought in, the 666 particularly, I think the stand needs some work, but also has helped as well. Um, and I think the the rule changes have helped a lot this year, but um, once, once they brought in the team defense and it's such a strong tactic that if, you know, I think under... You know, David Teague, we saw Carlton and some other teams have tried it as well as a one-off season, go just completely all out attack against these sides and it can't work. But at the end of the day, you're not going to win a flag doing that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it's healthier now than it was a few years ago, but needs needs some work still. I think um, the other thing is the umpiring. I think the not the umpires themselves. I just think the rules around specifically holding the ball and high contact... Yeah. Uh, and even to an extent, like pushing the back are now more confusing than they were back then. Um, like it used to be so simple. It was either incorrect disposal or if you had prior opportunity. And if you did, didn't have prior, but you still dropped the ball, that was still holding the ball. And as such that you always, or like 95% of the time, you knew what the call was going to be. Whereas now, because there's so much emphasis on, did he make an attempt to get it out and was it knocked out in the tackle and... Um, was that prior or was that not? And did he put his arm up? Like it's so hard for the umpires, uh, let alone for the fans trying to figure out what's going to be paid and what's not. Um, and I do think that has a big influence on how you enjoy the game. Okay. Mine's a little bit of a, an outlandish one, but I just think um, people around you, family, friends, even institutions, when it comes to, the latter, the latter weeks and days of August and certainly the months of September just should be a bit weary of how much football means to certain people. I think there's just a lot of birthday parties on Saturday nights. Um, I, there, I've heard whispers of a graduation on Friday night that people are not too happy about. I think people just need to realise in Melbourne um, that you you probably need to just keep, keep your mind on um, – the big clashes that come up this time of year. <laughs> I, I heard a rumor that um, there's a ski trip that had been planned for this weekend. Ben, <laughs> who, who, well, who would do that? Who would, who do, would that? do that? That is just and who would sca- cancel a ski trip for footy? That would be a real idiot. Um, <laughs> I mean, it's a hit because you, you, you've, given, you've given me nothing there. You said that fans should should be wary of it, and of course they should be. But I don't think they should be rescheduling things. Yeah. I think it's up to. I think if you cop a, a bad time and you, you miss an event and bad luck. <laughs> um, but I'm not really for a, a grand final public holiday. So I guess maybe if that's on mm. the same argument, then it's a miss. But yeah, anyway, Hamish. I'm with you on the grand final public holiday. Um, as good as they are, I don't think it... Like I, I'm obviously not in Victoria and I can tell you that every non-Victorian he goes, why are you having, I mean, I know they have a similar thing in the NRL, but why are you having a day off on the Friday 
yeah. before a grand final on a Saturday. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> obviously, family and friends should plan their events around the football calendar of this time of year, unless uh, it is a non-Victorian game going on. Like I, if I miss a Brisbane versus Frio final on mm. a semi-final or whatever um, for a party or for um, a graduation or whatever, I can cop that. Um, I did miss the Geelong Richmond prelim um, a couple of years ago. Um, that was tough to take. Yeah. Yeah. It's flat about that. <laughs> yeah. Bit, still a bit flat about that one. Um, I think that brings us to an end of hit or miss, everyone. Oh, no. What a shame. Um, as always, next week. Uh, that does bring us, though, to one of our, well, arguably our favorite segments on this show. Even if Definitely Ben's. <laughs> Definitely Ben's. And that is the On This Day This Week segment. For those of you who are new to the show, Old Sport is the name of the podcast. Obviously, we have to look back at some old sporting events, and we'd like to acknowledge something that happened on this particular day or week. And we've actually got an On This Day for this week. Um, and it's a relatively legitimate one as opposed to some that we've seen in the past um you'll have to scroll scroll back through the catalogs yeah scroll back through the catalogs if you want to know what we're referring to there um bit of bit of canada stuff anyway um but on this day um (laughs) on the 16th of august to 1903 new zealand's Men's All Blacks played their first rugby test match against Australia's men's Wallabies at the Sydney Cricket Ground. Uh, surprise, surprise, New Zealand won 22 to 3. Uh, really set the tone there early on, didn't they, the Kiwis? Now, this brings an interesting discussion, I think. I, it made me start thinking about dominant teams because when we were growing up and when our parents' generation were growing up, the All Blacks were just completely dominant, except for, say, in a few World Cups. Um, just by far a team that always performed above their level, above their population, um, and were just unbeatable, and you'd never bet against them. Now, they have looked vulnerable recently. Um, they're no longer number one in the world. Uh, Ireland have replaced them there. They lost to South Africa, who have not been looking good recently. Um, they're going into this World Cup next year, probably not as favourites, which is the first time in a long time. So who is the most dominant team in the world at the moment? The one that first came to my mind was the Australian women's cricket team. I'm keen to get your your top of your head thoughts on that one, boys. Um, Manchester City in the Premier League been pretty true, true. like unbeatable. Um, yeah, gosh, it's hard to think of many more dominant than the Australian. I mean, you've got you know the US in basketball and and sports they invented and but sports they made up. Yeah, <laughs> you can't play cricket. Go play baseball. <laughs> um, but yeah, the women's the Australian women's cricket team is is unbelievable. Yeah, I think the difference between that and Man City is that Man City are just bankrolled and have so yeah. much money, whereas yeah. Australia's women's cricket have, you know, less people than England and about a percent of the people that India have access to. Mm. I mean, you can say that you can argue the same about the Australian women's cricket team that they've been bankrolled because they had the investment first. The Australian fair enough to Cricket Australia for investing in them ahead of India and England and have now reaped the rewards for the last 10 years. But they don't um, have the player pool. Um, no, I, I agree that. 
with that. Absolutely. India um, can pick from whichever of their billion females they want to. Um, but they can't play in an IPL because there's no women's IPL anyway. No. Um, yeah, I like your idea of the Aussie women's team. Also, like, like I've always just been fascinated by the All Blacks, just such a small population. And rugby union is is played really all over the world by sizable nations and taken incredibly seriously by those nations and the All Blacks for such a long period of time have just completely dominated the sport. So I don't think even the Australian women's cricket team quite compares just because like we sort of have every right to dominate the sport for the reasons Hugo has outlaid and, and we've talked about on the yeah. podcast previously. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's interesting because I, I, as much as I like thinking of Man City, it's a good one, but it's still a domestic sport competition. And I reckon international sporting teams, it probably is hard to go past the, the Aussie women's, but they don't still not on the same level as the All Blacks. Yeah. yeah. Awesome. All right. Shall we move on to our upcoming events? We'll start with cricket. And surprisingly, Cricket Australia has finally listened to fans' fixture demands, shortening the big. Oh, no, they haven't done that. They've actually scheduled cricket in August. <laughs> we have bilateral series against Zimbabwe with three ODIs in Townsville. That's just under 10 days away. Cricket in August is happening. And it's, really? I mean, it's, absolutely. It's in Townsville. It's ODIs against Zimbabwe. Oh, my God. It's, I did uh, not know this. It's good to see, Hugo. They're doing their bit to say one-day cricket by know. you know getting these really important games into the, the schedule. It's um, also like I would have loved for Zimbabwe to play in yeah. I absolutely would have gone to a Zimbabwe. Play at the junction. But they've just – they've obviously ICC told like they have rights to play – in Australia, and Australia said, all right, if you're coming, you can play us in August in Townsville. It's ridiculous. Anyway, um, moving on to the US, we've got the continuation of the MLB. NFL starts in just under a month now, and NBA is a little bit further away. Uh, in the F1, we've still got two weeks of summer break, or just under two weeks now, and then it'll kick off once again. Hamish, what about the world of soccer coming up? Well, Premier League match week three is pretty stacked. Um Man United versus Liverpool will be the most, uh, the game carrying the most weight, I suppose, next Tuesday. Whoever loses that can expect to be absolutely throttled by the the English media, which is completely ruthless. Um, and in what I'm calling maybe the oil fields derby, oil money derby, I'm not quite sure. Metro dollar derby. Um, we've got Manchester City playing Newcastle. So um, exciting for, for all those those big fans we've got over there, um, those those loyal Man City fans who've been there from the start. So, um, yeah, all, all the best. But <laughs> almost got it out. <laughs> almost got it out. All right. We've got the uh, – in, in golf, we've got the PGA Tour playoffs continuing. The first leg of the, the four-leg playoff series just uh, finished off with Will Zalatoris bagging his maiden PGA Tour victory, which was good to see. He's going to be a superstar for a long time to come. And a couple of weeks from now, we've got the US Open tennis, August 29, which is a huge occasion because in all likelihood, it will be the last time we see Serena Williams grace the tennis court. So that will be – must see TV for everyone. Uh, tips and bold predictions to wrap things up. I'll I'll kick things off. I've got one which is 
not news anymore, but it was when I wrote it a week ago. Um, and that's that Cam Smith will go to LIV next season. Um, it's been all but confirmed. He's refused to deny it now on multiple um, interviews. It's a weird one because he hasn't confirmed it yet. And I don't even know if he signed any contracts. So he's technically still allowed to play on the PGA Tour to the end of their relatively lucrative playoff series. And he is actually vying for number one position in the world. And with the LIV Tour not playing for world ranking points as of yet, this might be the, you know, last or only chance he has to ascend to that position so for what it's worth that might be worth watching for the next three weeks to see if he can do it he's one week he's probably one win away from going to number one in the world uh more of a longer term prediction just because i think this is something to keep an eye on and it, it certainly interested me talking about the privatization of cricket before is this sort of phenomenon of sports washing uh where regimes which are backed by immense natural resource wealth uh, and perhaps have a less than stellar record on things such as human rights are able to um, at least try and cleanse that or cleanse is the wrong word but perhaps try and gloss over that in the public eye uh, by bankrolling sports such as golf um, which we're seeing with LIV and I think it might perhaps be a blueprint for other sports where the dominant league if you will tour uh, perhaps hasn't innovated or hasn't treated the players as well as it could have isn't paying them as well as they could have and so I just think keep your eyes peeled for that over the coming years. And I fear that once a few sports start doing it, people will just become immune to it, you know. Um, oh, it's another Saudi back leg. Oh, but the golf mm. does it. Oh, but the F1 does it. It's a good yeah, time no. to be a young athlete. Like, <laughs> you you can make so – like, there are really average golfers, like really, really yeah. average golfers making obscene money on this thing. And, um, you know, the same could easily happen in, in sports like cricket. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I had to make a footy bowl prediction. Hugo like this. <laughs> Carlton are playing finals footy. They'll beat Collingwood on the weekend. All the dogs will lose. I'm not sure what. Probably both. Um, so I think it's going to be a Pies-Tigers elimination final. And I think the Tigers can win by like six goals. See you later, Pies. Um, manifesting this. <laughs> That'd be good. I like it. Good I like everyone. it a lot. Um, my bold prediction is that Brisbane won't win a final yet again. Um, they've gone out straight sets a couple times and I think won one final one in the last four years. I don't think they'll win another final. I think they've looked bad enough at times to go out in straight sets. Um, yeah, bad luck Lions fans. <laughs> it's bold because I was considering picking them for my grand final. Um, wow. So anyway, is- watch this space. Watch this space. Yeah. A lot to go. A huge week in sports coming up. Um, now I'm gonna try something, at least for the start of this series. I'm going to go with the old unscripted sign-offs. Um, it's been a disaster for me in season one, and I think it's a skill that I need to work on. So I'm gonna crash through this wall and see if by the end of this series we can't do some clean unscripted sign-offs. So we'll start off now. Thank you, boys. Hugo Hamish. Very, very enjoyable being back. Thought it was a good show. Thank you very much to the listeners for joining us. Hope you enjoyed the the interviews we threw this way. Obviously, we're going to work very hard to bring you a lot of new and exciting content this series. So keep 
stay tuned, engage with us, emails, socials, um, and we're going to try and build something nice and special here. Hope you enjoyed everything this episode and look forward to catching up again next week. Thank you.